Today on The Accidental Engineer, Aaron Zaraga, co-founder and CTO of Sensel. Aaron got his bachelor's and master's degrees from Stanford in electrical engineering before joining Amazon as a hardware engineer, and ultimately leaving Amazon to co-found Sensel. We'll hear about some of Aaron's hard-earned engineering wisdom in taking a consumer electronics product to market. Welcome all, Max of the Accidental Engineer here. Today we are joined by Aaron Zaraga. Aaron is co-founder and CTO of Sensel. Uh, do you mind sharing for our audience a little bit about what Sensel is and what you guys are doing? Yeah, so uh, Sensel is developing uh, basically the future of touch technology. Um, we've developed a very high resolution, uh, full force sensitive uh, touch technology that we're really looking to um, really want to use it to revolutionize any you know consumer electronics, any human interface. Um, we want to use it to kind of build the, the touch screens of the future. Um, so it's full pressure sensitive, it works underwater, it works with any object, it's kind of a um, a very natural way to interact with with computers and machines, um, and so I have a demo that I can you know show show later in the video, um, so you can get a sense of like you know what what we're making. Um, we also uh, have a great product that's on the market right now called the Sensor Morph, and we basically took this new technology that we developed, bundled it up into uh, a really fun product that. Um, that lets you kind of take advantage of the new technology we've built in many different use cases in art, music, uh, gaming, and productivity. Um, so it's kind of an interface that can morph into a bunch of different, uh, different tools. Like Aaron said, uh, as we get further in their interview, we'll do a live demo of Sensil's product. Um, and we'll pull out my MacBook and the USB device and plug it in and do a demo. For our audio-only listeners, we'll also be uh, narrating a little bit about what we're doing so you guys can get a sense, uh, but check out the website to see screenshots and whatnot. Um, but for our audience that is used to the format of us asking about our guests' background, mm -hmm. do you mind sharing a little bit about uh, how you got to co-founding a business yeah. uh, a few years back? Yeah, so um, you know, I went to to school at Stanford, uh, studied electrical engineering there, did a, a BS and MS uh, degree there, um, and then after school, started working at Amazon. Um, worked in their uh, worked in Cupertino in their hardware company, Lab One Twenty Six, um, and basically worked on. Uh, we we're in this really cool group called Concept Engineering, where we we're working on very future looking products. Um, a lot of the new um, product concepts that came out from Amazon were actually kind of first developed in that group. Um, and so, you know, I really enjoyed that team and is is really fun kind of first uh, out of out of school experience. Um, while I was working there, I met a few other um, uh, people um, and one of them turned out to be my uh, current co-founder, uh, Ilya Rosenberg. So I met him uh, while I was part of that team. And, uh, and we had kind of, you know, we had been doing a lot of work in the input space and human uh, machine interaction in that group. And um, Ilya basically left, the, left that team back in uh, 2013 and started kind of thinking about how to build 
uh, a new touch technology of the future. Um, and basically, he spent some time in his garage uh, making some really, uh, really interesting new concepts for how to build a touch sensor. Um, and then he, you know, came and uh, came and found me, uh, <laughs> or contacted me one day. Um, and then I went over to his house and saw what he'd kind of put together. And I just saw, um, I knew that, you know, with him and he and I both working on it, we could make it something uh, really, really special. And I knew that it could have the ability to kind of transform uh, interfaces. And, and uh, so that's why, for me, the uh, that's when I decided to kind of join him. And, and we started Sensil in uh, December 2013. So that's kind of the... the rough you know timeline intro there yeah. Yeah. yeah for a lot of our audience and for a lot of our guests too many don't have a formal education mm-hmm. in in engineering of any form whether mm-hmm. mechanical computer science uh what have you how critical has was your bachelor's and master's degrees towards uh preparing you for that first job at amazon and then now ultimately for preparing you for Co-founding a business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so the, yeah, I think the, the degree for, for me, so I was electrical, right? Um, electrical engineering is one of those, de- it's one of those skills that's really hard to learn on your own. Um, I've met a lot of really talented uh, programmers that um, can, you can kind of self-teach yourself computer science. Um, but I wanted to do electrical engineering and for electrical engineering, it's, you can't like go out and easily get, you know, really you know, all the equipment that you need to do electrical engineering is, is really expensive. So you can't just kind of do that on the, on, on your own. And so, um, that's why it's really important for me to, to do that at, at school, um, because they have the labs and they have all the classes where you can go and you can start using their equipment to build stuff. You learn how to use all the test equipment. Um, I think it was really important just for, um, to get me in the, the gear of how to build things and how to, how to, um, how to really engineer stuff. Uh, so I think it was really important. Um, and, you know, in terms of like running a business, right, electrical engineering degree doesn't teach you a whole lot about how to run a company. For sure. um, but I think, you know, it's, it teaches you, um, for me, school is more about teaching you how to learn and teaching mm-hmm. you how to, how to pick up new things. And so uh, I've, I've used that to kind of, um, you know, learn of what it takes to run a company, what it takes to go raise money, hire employees. All that stuff is kind of brand new, and I think when you're doing a startup, no matter what kind of background you have, you're going to be drinking from the fire hose the whole time. So it, it, <laughs> I don't think you can you can prepare by you know taking classes in and stuff. Um, I took an EE for business uh, class, but nothing really prepares you for the the stuff that you're going to learn on the job doing a startup. I know you've given back some to people by mentoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's undergrads, is that correct, who are interested in doing similar to what you've done? Yeah, so um, I am. So uh, Sensil, back in 2014, we went through Stardex, uh, which is Stanford's hardware, or sorry, Stanford's uh, startup accelerator program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of went through it, and they, they do, they have this great program where they uh, will kind of teach you, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a crash course in like, what are the things you need to know to kind of get this startup off the ground? Um, and so we learned how to like raise money, how to like basics of how to do a, you know, a product launch and things like that. Um, and so I stay uh, heavily involved with Stardex. Um, they have a hardware neighborhood, which is part of the program where all the hardware companies get together and talk. And um, I've run that session a couple times um, with another another team member. So I just, I, you know, even though I don't, I don't consider myself an, like an expert or anything that can, can really, um, really, 
uh, speak to that yet. Um, I'd like to at some point, but uh, uh, being super modest. <laughs> but I, but I've seen, I've you know, I've been doing. We've, we since I'll just turn four in December, just like a, a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been doing it for four years now, and and I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, and we've done things the wrong way, and we've done some things the right way. And if there's anything that I can, um, you know, share with someone who's going through that same journey um, and help them, like I, I love doing that, and it's it's something I really enjoy. Yeah, people can feel free to get a hold of Aaron. We have a profile page for you uh, where people can submit comments or questions. So if you want to get a hold of Aaron, you can ping him there. Uh, One of the the things that I'm personally curious about is basically hardware products are a very expensive uh, series of sunk costs mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to get them to market um, do you mind sharing what those look like from a very high level not necessarily specific to Sensel, but uh, in contrast to maybe your friends who picked up programming without a formal degree and were able to set up a website or whatever mm-hmm. um, what are some of the big hurdles of going to market with a hardware um, yeah, so so I have an interesting because my, my path was going starting at Amazon, right? And I was a um, an engineer at Amazon, and, and we're cranking out hardware products, right? Um, and but what's interesting is you only really see the engineering and design side of it, at least when you're a, a design engineer. Um, so you see the the you know the iterations and the prototyping, and and you start getting towards production, um, and you that's a lot of work. I think you I got a glimpse of what it takes to ship a product from there. Um, what was fascinating is then you go outside of Amazon or what, whatever big company and you're doing a startup and you want to do hardware, um, you realize how much stuff and infrastructure is already done for you at a large company. Um, I remember being at Amazon, um, you know, I was a young engineer just out of school and there's a whole operations team and there's a whole uh, marketing team and I never interacted with them, you know, being in a, like an entry kind of level position there. Um, and I always wondered what they did, uh, and you learn very quickly when you're when you're on your own in a startup. You're like, oh, this huge thing that I have to do—that's what the whole operations team was working on. You know, that's what the uh, the marketing team was working on. And so, uh, you know, at Amazon, I would just show up, and there'd be a factory, and I'd go to the factory, and you solve problems, and you go home, and you're thinking, wow, that was like really tough. Uh, at a startup, there's no factory, right? So you start thinking about, okay, we're gonna build this product. We're gonna, uh, we're gonna, you know, do it this way, that way. And you're like, okay, like uh, now I gotta go find a, a factory, you know? Like I'm gonna go find a contract <laughs> manufacturer. And then you're like, okay, well, how do I do that? And you start talking to experts, or you know, we we had a, a lot of help from consultants that would kind of help fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. But then you go and you gotta negotiate an agreement with the factory, and you've gotta do payment terms, and and it's in each little bit like that along the way is another huge can of worms that you start opening. And so um, one of the things that I've uh, you know, told the, the companies at the hardware neighborhood is that um, hardware can be great. I mean, there's nothing like building a physical product and, and shipping it to someone and having them use it and seeing your product out in the real world. Um, but it is, it is tough. It is a big undertaking. Um, we, I've, you know, worked with some companies that were doing software stuff primarily, and they wanted to build like a hardware kind of widget to kind of like be an accessory to their software. And I, I've, you know, talked some of them out of that. Cause it's like, you know, I think what you're talking about is great, but unless you have the funds to go pay some company to design that whole thing and manufacture the whole thing for you, um, you should probably think twice about it because <laughs> just building that little widget seems really simple now, but it's a whole, you know, 
it's a huge effort just getting that done. Oh, so. I believe it. I do you mind sharing for our audience a little bit about perhaps a, a factory <laughs> negotiation that you've had to be involved in? Well, it's just so it's just like uh, you know you think about uh, the you know see it there CM a contract manufacturer. Um, <clears throat> I didn't even know. So I knew that there was factories in China, factories in the U.S., um, but I never knew that there are different types of CMs that specialize in different things. Like there's some that do medical equipment, there's some that do consumer electronics, there's some that only do high value, low volume um, products. Um, they and then there's other factories that are set up to only do high volume, low margin type type things. So it's um, that was a huge learning experience. So just going in and like figuring out what type of CM makes sense for your product where you can try to hit the cost targets, then you've got to like down select and make sure that the CM wants to work with you. So like this is the this is the interesting part is that you know you're uh, founding a company, you're building this product and in through your eyes it's like this product is a slam dunk, right? Like everyone is gonna want to build this. Not necessarily true. <laughs> you know, you go into a CM and and they say, okay, uh, this is a cool product. You know, you, you have to pitch them, right? You pitch them, even though you're going to be paying them, you have to pitch them that that, that they should work with you. Um, and a lot of them have aversions to working with startups now because, you know, I'm sure they've been burned in the past. Um, and then they're asking, okay, what kind of volumes? It's like, well, I want to start by building like a few thousand or something like that. And they're like, well, that's not enough. We'd rather start it, you know, come talk to us when you can build like a million or a yeah. thousand. And so you've got to find the right size CM and you've got to kind of work your way up. And then, and then the agreement stuff is all after that. You got to negotiate terms uh, and th- stuff like that. But yeah, it's that, that's one very, you know, small part of the, 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 the hardware stuff. But um, each one of those is like, yeah, stacks up, becomes big. Are, is is there a class of contract manufacturers that'll say yes to anything, uh, despite their quality guarantees that you kind of had to be weary of? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think um, uh, there's a lot of. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like they people say if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of a lot of companies out there that will say yes and tell you anything, um, and then you actually find out like, ooh, actually the company's maybe going under and they're just trying to get a last ditch effort and, you know, collect a check. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so you got to do due diligence. You got to, um, even for like a CM, like we, uh, asked for references. We said, okay, you're pitching us that you're set up to work with startups and you can write, work with us to ramp us to high volume and stuff like that. Um, let me talk to someone that you've actually done that with. Uh, and if you can't find someone, if they can point to one person that they've gone through that process with and been successful, then you, you should be a little, a little wary. Yeah. <laughs> I, and to cope with this problem of negotiating with contract manufacturers who say you don't have enough units, mm-hmm. are there any organizations or groups of startup hardware startups that group together to negotiate as a group with contract manufacturers? I don't think so. And if there is one out there, I'd love to, to know about it. Um, I mean, I think that would be a fascinating model where you have a group of startups that um, that kind of approach CMs as a, as a, as a group, but it is, it's tough though. Cause even, even in that situation where you've got 10 startups that each want to do, you know, 2000 units. Okay. That now you're talking about a bigger number, each product is so different and they have to do so much work just to build the product line out or the manufacturing line out for each product. And so, um, that's why it's tough, you know? Um, and it, it's like from the fa- factory's perspective, it's, there's a reason that they want that volume because they're going to put in a bunch of fixed costs just to get the lineup. Mm-hmm. And then you're telling me we're going to spend six months 
building all this production in this line, you know, this production line, and we're only going to build 100 units, like, you know, no, so. Um. <laughs> fair enough, fair yeah. enough. So many of our audience, engineers or non-engineers, uh, lead a pretty chill life uh, where they go to a day job in an office in the San Francisco Bay Area or other mm-hmm. uh, large U.S. city generally. Um, do you mind painting a picture for people what a what a what a day for you might look like? Um, well, to give you an idea, today's Saturday. I'm and I'm here, so it's <laughs> great that I'm not in the office right now. Um, I think that as a as a founder of a company and even working at a at a small startup, I'm sure you know a lot of the people out there know this, but um, you don't have the luxury of assuming that your work is going to be there tomorrow, right? At, at a at a large company. Um, I remember the, like the mentality was always, Hey, like, you know, it's, it's eight o'clock it's seven o'clock. Like I'm just going to go home. Like the work will be here tomorrow, you know, like, don't worry about it. Um, and you, you, fortunately you can be in situations where you don't have to take your work home. You can turn off your email until the next day. You can take the full weekend off like that. That's really great. And I, I really do think that if, uh, when you're in a part of your career where you're in that, you should really appreciate it. Um, because like not everyone gets to do that. And, and I, I look at back at my time at Amazon, and I was like, man, I had so much free time, you know, working at Amazon. <laughs> Cause then I worked long hours, but like, I still didn't bring my home on the, you know, work home on the weekends. Um, but at a startup, you don't have that luxury. It's like, actually, if I don't answer this email to this investor right now, like the work might not be there tomorrow, you know, like it's those type of things you're, you're dealing with. Everything is very important. Everything is urgent. Everything is very critical. Um, and so you've got to sometimes turn on stuff on the weekends. You've got to stay late. Um, so, yeah. Fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. Uh, does your work take you overseas at all to talk with contract manufacturers or otherwise? Yeah. So um, so we've, I've been, a, that, that's actually a really fun part of the job. Uh, I've been to several different places abroad. Um, Taiwan, uh, places in China. Um, I was recently in Japan. Mm. Um, visiting, uh, visiting manufacturers and suppliers and factories, but also potential customers as well. Um, because we're, de- we're developing, while we're developing our own product, we also have this core technology that I, I spoke a little bit earlier about that we're also working with customers to integrate into, um, you know, laptops and, uh, working with smartphone manufacturers. So mm-hmm. all those guys have, you know, a l- large presence in Asia. So mm-hmm. been traveling there quite a bit. Um, and so I think that's been, been really, really great from a learning perspective, just learning, uh, and also Korea and Korea recently. So like learning like how, you know, the business customs work in Japan versus Korea versus China. It's all so different. Um, and so that's been a huge, uh, learning experience for me. And I, f- I feel very, very fortunate, um, to get that opportunity to travel. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, are, when you do go on these travels, uh, this might be a personal question. This might not be, uh, I don't know, super relevant, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, when you travel to Korea or Taiwan, mm-hmm. uh, what what is a what does a business trip look like for uh, a hardware developer like yourself? It depends. So actually, we we just we have a few team members that are traveling like right now, and and uh, a lot of their trips look very different. Like one person is traveling to um, to deliver some custom sensors we developed to a customer. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be working with them to uh, like in their factory to to integrate the sensor and things like that. We've got a couple other team members that are in a different part of Asia that are visiting suppliers because um, you know we have suppliers and network of suppliers that all provide parts for us. Um, 
And when you're building a new design or you're building uh, a new anything for the first time, you really need someone on the ground there. Um, so they're they're there supporting the first first article inspection of these new new supplier uh, parts. And so that there those two experiences are going to look very different. Um, in one case, you're the you're working. You, the other person's the customer. In one case, you're the customer, right? And so that's a, one dynamic. And in the other case, you're working with the customer. Totally different dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had situations where I've had more low key trips where I'll have a few few meetings and I'll maybe get some time in the evenings to like go see see parts of, of the city I'm in. I've had other trips where I show up at 8 a.m. at the airport, like totally jet lagged. I like go to meetings all day. I spend the whole week in meetings and then leave. And then I, you know, only see the office like there that I'm visiting. So it really depends. But uh, yeah, so (laughs) you have really good ones and fun ones. And then sometimes you have really ones that are just like, you know, grind. You're just grinding all all, all week. We had a a guest on where we talked a fair amount about uh, QA and testing Mm -hmm. and this is more relevant than ever in hardware engineering, yeah, especially sure. uh, where you have uh, statistical benchmarks, maybe, or like mm-hmm. you have uh, service level agreements with partners who are providing you guys hmm. supplies or uh, end products. Yeah, uh, can you speak to for our audience that are not involved in hardware engineering? Uh, share a little bit about what QA looks like in hardware engineering. Yeah. Well, you have like the first level, which is the just the specs, right? Like one thing we've learned time and time again um, is that uh, one, of, one of our teammate members uh, used to always says, uh, "Garbage in, garbage out." Uh, so if you if you uh, if you send a spec over to a supplier and you say, "Here's what I want," and it's and it's garbage, and it, if it doesn't clearly define everything that you need and ha- com- clearly communicate everything you're expecting, you won't get what you're expecting. You're mm-hmm. going to get the garbage out. So. Um, one thing that we've been, um, you know, it's a transition. When you're a startup you, and you only have a few people, you only have so much time to put together the spec. But we're going through this process where we're kind of like growing up as a company and getting much better at, at really knowing what our specs look like for each different component. Um, we know, you know, uh, we have our suppliers we've worked with um, to ensure they can meet the specs. Um, so that's a big part of it, just the upfront communication. Like, you, I want you to build this and, and, and it needs to make sure, and I need to go make sure that you know how to build it and you understand <laughs> what I'm asking for. And then there's the whole part of QAing after the fact. So um, I need to set up, so if you're the supplier and I, we already did the spec and you say, okay, I can build it, um, then I need to go make sure that you're testing correctly, uh, that you're testing the first line of defense, right? Like don't leave bad parts. Don't let bad parts leave your factory. And then I've got to set up tests on my end so that when I receive them, um, I can test them right away to make sure that they're good parts. So that's, that's again, one of these things that's kind of this huge effort that you don't really see. You see a little bit of it when you're, you know, working at the big companies, you see, you know, there's people on the team that are QA and stuff like that, but you don't see on the supplier end, you know, you just see parts coming to the factory a lot of times, but on the supplier end, there might be a whole set of, um, uh, testing, you know, fixtures and things like that, that someone at your company's develop to ensure that you're getting good parts out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's definitely a learning process and, and you, you kind of learn who your suppliers are. Like some, some of our suppliers we know like, okay, the suppliers never shipped us anything bad. And we know that the person in charge is running the show that they, they, they know what they're doing. Others, it's like, it's always hit or miss. So we've got to really double down to make sure QA is good. And like, we're there in the factory. So, <laughs> oh, the, the parallels with QA and uh, 
and getting the specification right up front in software engineering are totally direct. <laughs> like these, <laughs> these parallels are very direct. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I'm very curious about in running what's an international business mm-hmm. is uh, when it comes to writing specifications, uh, is there a language gap? How do you how do you cope with a language gap dealing with um, um, contract manufacturers whose first language might not be English? It happens a lot. I mean, even even with our um, with suppliers and even some of our customers we're working with, like it happens a lot where you're not really sure that you're talking about the same thing. Um, a lot of it is just being there. Like that's that's one of the things that I've been, you know, I was hesitant really early on about hey, we shouldn't be traveling, we can do everything over video conference. Um, but it's amazing, even over video conference, like you can only get so far. If you have just two engineers in the room, uh, even if they're totally <laughs> not on the same page language-wise, and you can just have them interact in the same room and you can whiteboard stuff out and you can show different things and different concepts you're thinking about, it's just so valuable. Um, and so I think that's one of the biggest things that we've learned is that you need someone there. Um, I think we're, we're looking at kind of growing, uh, establishing a team in Asia so that we can have on the ground presence without having to travel there. I think that'll be really, really great. That's a whole nother challenge that we haven't gotten into yet. (laughs) Well, this is a good opportunity to plug something that I'd love to plug, Mm -hmm. which is whether there are any roles that Sensil is hiring for right now that we can advertise. uh, (laughs) Yeah. So I think, um, you know, software engineers, like we're always looking for software people, especially software people that want to work with hardware stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, if you, if you have any interest in working with a hardware peripheral or, or even doing any firmware development or, um, any kind of factory test procedures or, you know, we've got like crazy test robots that are moving around doing all this stuff. If, if any of that sounds interesting, like, uh, definitely let me know. I'm always looking for software. Um, and then, you know, I think we're going to be growing, uh, pretty soon across the board. So any kind of mechanical materials engineers, um, even, you know, operations. So if you're into hardware and you're interested, just, just shoot me an email, let me know and, uh, and love to chat. Okay. So far, we've been pretty abstract about exactly what Sensil's product is. We've talked about it being a peripheral to mm-hmm. device, whether a smartphone or a laptop or what have you. But mm-hmm. I figured now would be a good time to do the demo. Cool. <laughs> yeah. That sounds good. I'll, um, I'll bring out my MacBook and uh, Aaron will yeah. bring out so Sensil's device. I just want to uh, show the device here. So this is the, uh, the Sensil Morph. Um, so this is basically a a large uh, tablet-sized touch sensor uh, that features our new technology. So um, you'll see when I fire up the demo, but our technology basically senses not only where you're touching, but how hard um, for each contact. So it's almost like a like a camera for force. Um, current touch solutions today, if you touch your phone, um, it only knows uh, where, right? It, you only get X, Y coordinates for each finger. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got full pressure. Um, we also support any objects so you can interact with like paint brushes or any kind of interesting materials. Um, so yeah, so this is our product, the Sensil Morph. The idea is that um, we have a base sensor. Um, we have an API so you can get all the data out and things like that. But uh, we also wanted to make the technology available to uh, even non-engineers. You don't have to be a developer to use it. Um, so we developed an ecosystem of, uh, of basically physical applications. 
Um, so we've got different um, interfaces that snap onto the device. That For example, let you, a keyboard. Yes, yeah, so this is a QWERTY keyboard with little uh, little silicone uh, clicky keys. Um, and it basically, when you put the, the, the overlay on, the whole device changes its behavior. So it'll just output events just like a keyboard. Um, and then we've got, you know, like a, um, I've got a piano one here, you snap it on. Um, and then it's like a, you know, full MIDI controller with pressure. Um, we're also, also implemented MPE, so it's like full pressure sensitivity and things like that. So the basic idea is that we have uh, our touch sensor here. Um, when you plug it in your computer, um, you can fire up a visualizer and you can see that we can tell not only uh, where I'm touching, but also how hard. So it's full pressure sensitive. Um, and it's really, you can fit as many points as you want on there. Um, if you see, it's kind of um, seeing a full force image of my hand. Um, and so, you know, we, we first developed this product, we took it to hackathons and we had all sorts of interesting, uh, really cool applications where people were using, using it as like a drone controller and using the pressure, um, to fly things around and using, using really the three dimensions of the sensor, um, for, for controlling things in, in real life. Um, so we've had, you know, art applications, music, uh, even gaming and IOT, like using it as like a gestural smart surface and things like that. Um, and then uh, I mentioned that we also sell um, a variety of different overlays. So here's, I just have a couple of them with, with me today. Uh, this is a um, piano, so this is a music music application. This is our, our keyboard uh, QWERTY application. Um, and so the idea is that these are, these are just flexible overlays. So when you put them on our sensor, um, we can actually uh, sense the touches right through the materials. Because we're sensing force, um, you know, we can sense since through these different flexible overlays. So you can see here it's detecting not only which key I'm hitting, but also how hard um, we sense things like, uh, like we can do pitch bending and modulation and things like that. Um, so it's a, it's a very expressive and, and fun device. Um, and we've made it so that, um, so that your, your uh, you know, average uh, consumer that doesn't want to program can just throw this on and then it becomes a, a MIDI controller um, or you can throw this on and it becomes uh, a keyboard so you can you know switch views and, um, and just start typing and do whatever you want you know hello world kind of thing mm -hmm. um, so yeah and it's cool. got full uh, Bluetooth and battery as well so it attaches to tablets and iPads and, and stuff like that so that was an awesome demo for one <laughs> thanks appreciate it uh, one, one of the uh, topics that I think would be really cool to cover uh, is how, as part of going to market with a hardware business, um, you the final step of getting the products into people's hands. Mm -hmm. um, what are what are the big retail electronics outlets out there today uh, for people who aren't familiar with how people, very generally in the market actually buy retail electronics yeah so it's it's interesting um actually that's another uh, big challenge that <laughs> that's, that's uh getting into retail right so um so right now we're selling primarily through our site at sensible.com mm -hmm. um we also are looking at uh we also have a store through reverb.com uh selling selling morphs through there um, we're also looking at some other experiences um like there's a really cool uh, startup called beta they have like stores um that uh, you can get your product in physical, you know, outlets across the country and people can go try it. Um, so we're looking at kind of plays like that where, um, we can kind of get the device into people's hands without doing full retail, um, big retail, big box retail, like Best Buy and things like that. Um, the, it's very difficult 
to get your product in there because um, one is the margin, you know, they take a big cut of your, your profit, so you gotta make sure the cost structure looks right. And then uh, oftentimes you have to commit a certain amount of inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a financial um, risk and commitment that you really have to, um, you really have to work towards. Um, so, yeah. Got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, this is all information that I think by and large our audience is not familiar with and is yeah. <laughs> super illuminating. So. Yeah. 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 Um, are there any questions that you wish I'd asked or that you would like to talk about? Um, knowing what you know now, would you do it again? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> knowing what you know now, would you do it again? Uh, that's what I think about a lot. Um, you know, I think, uh, it's, I mean, it's tough. I, I, I want to make sure that, cause I think one of the things that's challenging is that startups for whatever reason, um, have this like kind of almost, it's almost like glamorous when people think, Oh, working at a startup in Silicon Valley. And it's like this, uh, this like kind of like dreamy situation to be doing. And the reality is it's a, it's a grind. Like every day is so difficult and so hard. And like, I don't want to like sugarcoat that, it, that because it's, that's how it is. You know, you're doing, you're building everything from scratch. Um, but at the same time, um, while it's one of the hardest things I've ever done, I mean, it's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done in my career for sure. Um, while it's that, it's also one of the best things I've ever done because, you know, I look at, um, you know, I look at the, uh, amount that I've learned in four years, like four years ago, Aaron knew nothing about how to go raise money or how to hire an employee or how to like, you know, do any of this stuff that you're doing. And, and while it's so, you know, tough and it's such a demand because it's, you know, it's the, not only the time, it's the mental effort, the emotional effort of like being invested in your company. Um, it's, it's, it's big toll, but you're just learning the entire time. And even when times are hard, you're like, you're still learning that whole way. Um, and so I think, would I do it again? Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I'm going to stay at Sensil and push it. And I, I, I really think that, that, that we're on a great path to, uh, grow an IPO, um, post sensor, um, you know, whatever that might be, if I decide to hope, hopefully we IPO and everything is good and then I can, you know, uh, see what's going after that. But, um, would I do another startup? Um, probably not right away. I think I'd love <laughs> to have some, you know, uh, a break in, uh, from the startup space for a little while, but I think I would, I would get into it. Cause I think, um, once you're, once you get a taste of like seeing all parts of the business, um, I, I have a feeling that I'm going to continue to want that. Um, because like, you know, my day to day, people always ask me, what does your day to day look like? And, and I can never give a straight response. Cause it's like, well, this past week I was doing all this HR stuff and setting up, you know, all these different things. But this week I'm doing a bunch of engineering and working with customers. Um, next week I'll be doing, you know, something else. And so getting to touch all the parts of the business is just such an interesting and unique experience that, um, that I, I highly, I do highly recommend it for people that want to do it. Um, you got to know what you're getting into. You can't do, you can't do it like halfway. Like I think you, you got to commit, you got to, you know, they say jump off the cliff or whatever, and you got to commit and go all in. But I think once you do, I think it, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing experience. And, um, you know, all the, the team members that we have at Sensol, we're 15 right now. And, uh, you know, all those, all those, our team members are amazing. And, and I'm like, it's just so great that we, this is a team that we've built, you know, and it's, that's something to be really proud of. And, um, I know I'm, I want to work with all those guys and, and throughout my entire career, you know, it's, it goes beyond just this current, current company. So that, that's real. And I, I, 
I really do uh, think that's been been an amazing experience. So, awesome. Well, we're proud of you. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Dude, thanks for it. coming on, Aaron. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and for people to check out Sensel, do you mind mentioning your guys' website? Yeah, Sensel.com. It's S-E-N-S-E-L.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Awesome. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for the Accidental Engineer Podcast. If you enjoyed our interview with Aaron and want to hear more about professional software engineering careers, visit our website at theaccidentalengineer.com. We have a large backlog of video interviews and sign up on our email list to be notified when we publish new ones.